Well, hello and a very good spring evening to you. Roisin Curie here. This is the Sketch Therapist podcast, the podcast that improves your sketch life. No end, especially if you get out into the fresh air of the countryside or wherever you happen to live and bring your sketchbook with you, your pens, your watercolours, your brushes and sketch what you see. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, there's a lovely mama sheep just looking at me over the hedge. Oh dear, there's another sheep over by the nut feeding station and uh, she was itching her her side on the edge. Oh, she must be very itchy. She's given herself a good itching now on the side of the uh, of the nut sheep feeding station. And she's got, how many kids do you have, ma'am? She has a few anyway. And there's all these lovely little lambs and they can't run. They have to skip and hop and wiggle their tails about. Car coming. You have to be quiet for a sec. And there must be there must be 20 mamas in this field. And each mama has maybe on average two lambs, maybe. And the lambs are only about maybe a week and a half old, if that, maybe a week old. So they're still in that adorable tiny baby stage. So much so that I wish I had my glasses on because they are really are gorgeous. And uh, the moms were convinced that I'm the farmer, but they've given up now. They've gone away. But on the whole, mom sheep do not like when somebody comes along and looks at their lambs. They get really annoyed about that. Um, but I think they've decided I'm pretty harmless. And the mom sheep are wagging their tails too, and they're a bit stumpy. Oh, the baby lambs have got stumpy tails too. They've been oh, they've been they've been chopped off because they're born with really long tails. You can tell when they're literally newborn because the tails are really long. But these guys have all had their tails docked. Oh, there's one did a huge jump from standing. Oh, there he goes again. Little fellow with black legs, black head, grey kind of woolly coat. Oh, lambs are so cute. They're so cute. Our our youngest live won't eat lamb because lambs are so cute. Like, fair enough, live. But uh, it's a bit annoying because then I can't make anything with lamb in the house. But, you know, her heart's in the right place. I appreciate that. Well, there you go. There's a little taste of... Let me just tell you a little bit more of the setting. Okay, so we're in South Galway. I'm we. We meaning me and Reuben. And I'm looking at a very lovely green field. And it's small by international standards. Maybe average by Irish countryside standards. As in, it would take you about 30 seconds to walk from one side to the other. And there's a lot of clouds overhead, but it doesn't look like rain, so that's nice. And there's a few rooks flying overhead, and the lambs are in excellent form. They're all jumping. That little one with the black legs, he can't stop. He stroke she. Oh, another one. I was going to say can't stop kicking up their little back, black legs. Back legs. Here's another car. And... Uh, what else can I tell you? And I'm standing just on the roadside of a hedge, roadward side of a hedge, and it's covered in ivy and brambles. And it is, ooh, about 20 past four in the afternoon. And it's no longer winter, so there's no longer the threat of dark just around the corner. And it's my favourite time to go for a walk in some ways because, well, my favourite time is probably sunset, but this is also a very nice time when the day's beginning to get a little bit tired and a little bit dull. I like it. I like it. And there's two little lambs and they're standing on a rock next to the wall that's beside the farmer's gate. And they're 
nibbling something. I don't know what, but they found something anyway. And uh, it's a very tranquil scene. Bucolic, as they say. Well, there you go. There's your first little spring segment. I'll bring you lots more as the as the as the season wears on. And Reuben is pulling on his lead. Reuben, thank you. Reuben wanted to go home a second ago. I dropped the lead and when I looked up, he was gone and he was trotting determinedly towards home because some days Reuben decides, you know what? I don't want to walk today. I don't want to walk today. And I said to him, Reuben, since when do you decide the pace of when we go home? And actually the truth is sometimes he does. Sometimes if he just looks like he's really not into it, I just go home. Here's another car now. So there you go, guys. There's a little bit of spring for you. And uh, I shall press on with my walk. I wanted to paint a neighbour's house down at Killinaran Quay. If this is a little pier that's at the end of my road. So if I leave my house and keep the river parallel to the road and on my right and keep driving and driving and driving, well then I will come to the pier so the quay or whatever you like to call it and it's about two miles maybe a little bit more than that from my home a perfect distance for a nice cycle on a nice day and if the tide is in if the tide is fully in you can go down and swim there and that's just the best thing to do but you do have to acclimatise yourself to the cold water um, because it is the Atlantic after all now not being a complete nut job I swim there in the um, civilised months of the year of June, July, August, September don't know if I've ever swum into October maybe, I don't know but it's really fabulous especially maybe September maybe August. It's just heaven. And if it really is a blistering hot day, well, the whole village will be down there. And I say village, but mm, it's more just like houses dotted around the countryside. There is a little village of Ballandering, not too far from the water um, where we all swim. But um, for the most part, everybody just sort of emerges like little trolls from the fields and cycles or drives down and has a swim and it's great fun it's great fun and it's just mm, so 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 cool and it's a very um it's a very kind of an Irish experience there's no beach there well there is but it's a bit you know it's not dirty it's perfectly clean but it's not a very appetizing it's just a heap of uh, dark gray stones and a load of seaweed so nobody goes in from the from the from the beach side we all wait till high tide and then we lep off the stone key um and it's kind of nice because you um if you go there at low tide, you can see that there's absolutely nothing to freak you out except seaweed at the bottom lying in little heaps. And so there's no kind of like monsters or anything like that, even though you are sure there are when you're swimming there because you can't see what's underneath you. Um, but it is clean and empty and clear. Actually, you could argue that there are kind of monsters. Um, I'm not sure if I mentioned on the podcast before, but I was down there one afternoon with my sister and uh, her then boyfriend, now husband, and there was a young um there was a couple of young girls um uh, about to go into the water and as we stood in the quay and looked into the, the 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 water at full tide we saw some dorsal fins dorsal fins sharks yes sharks uh, breaking the surface of the water and they're swimming slowly in a circle so i don't know what they were doing probably circling a prey waiting to go in for the kill but they were very small they were kind of like sharks in miniature and of course, they were dogfish, but dogfish are sharks like they're just very miniature ones. 
And we were looking at them. We were like, oh my God, sharks, 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 dogfish. And one of the girls who was about 13, she said, I want to go in and swim with them. And without hesitation, down the steps she went and struck out into the water to go over to the sharks, who decided mm, not so interested in swimming with that nice girl. And they all broke their circular formation and swam away slowly in single file, their dorsal fins cutting through the water, gliding nicely. Now, I was there this morning. I wanted to paint a picture of the one house that is built on the quay. Uh, It's just before you come to the end. It's a beautiful, restored, traditional cottage. So where once it would have had a thatched roof, now it has a dark grey slate roof. And it's extremely pretty. It's white with yellow painted woodwork and a nice steep pitch. And it's small and it's absolutely beautiful. And if you go there at high tide, you can see the perfect and complete reflection of the house in the water. And it was high tide this morning at about half past seven. So I figured I'll drop Livy to the to the bus stop and then I'll go down to the down to the quay and I'll get the the house and its reflection painted. Now, yesterday would have been ideal that the the water was like a mirror, but I faffed about in the house and didn't get my act together. So I missed my opportunity yesterday. But this morning I wasted no time in getting down there. However, the water was too rough to give a good reflection. And it wasn't rough exactly, but it was just one of those days when the light was wrong. The sun was very low behind the house. So actually, no, the reflections would have been perfect because I did pass a house on the way down that did have a perfect reflection. Um, But this one did not cast a perfect reflection. So I had to change tack and change tack fast because you don't have very long when the light is just amazing like that. Now, because of the position of the sun um, quite low in the sky, it was casting reflections from the bollards, the stone bollards, um, into the into their puddles. There was a couple of, of decent-sized puddles on the little um, road that leads down to the water. And the stone bollards are where the boats throw their ropes to stop them floating away in the current. And so I noticed one of the stone bollards was casting a gorgeous reflection into a puddle. So I got out of the car and stood there. Now, that wasn't my plan. I planned to sketch from the car, but I just couldn't see what I wanted to do from the car. So instead, I stood there. I just stood up and got colder and colder and colder. But it was fine. It was fine. I I just got on with the sketch. I worked very fast. And I'd say probably within, well, definitely within an hour, I had the whole thing nearly finished. And then I met one of my neighbours who's a lovely woman. And so myself and Sue talked for a long time because she's great. And <laughs> luckily I was nearly finished my um, my drawing by then, my sketch. But the thing about it is I'm going to tell you what the important points to remember were. Now, first of all, you have to bear in mind that once the sun rose nice and high by about 10 a.m., there was nothing dramatic or interesting about the scene. But it was when the light was very low that it was very interesting because... The bollards, the stone limestone posts were thrown into um, silhouette by the low morning sun and they had they were almost black in the morning sun and they cast very, very dark reflections into the water. And the reflections in turn were very, very dark and the sun had lit up just uh, one side of the bollards. And so you had a kind of a strip of light on the left hand side. 
The little bits of gravel were dark. The reflections were dark. The 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 the, the bollards, the two bollards that were in my scene, also cast long shadows, but they were sort of navy blue, and they were long. They were purpley blue, and they were long and diagonal, stretching across this the uh, the road. I kept my colours really, really low and muted. Um, I used um, Deep Sea Violet by Schmincke's Super Granulating range. I used a little bit of Deep Sea Black from the same range. And I used some Aquarius Green from Roman Schmal and some Green Appetite Genuine from Daniel Smith. So all my very low-key sludgy colours. Now, I will say that the grass was much brighter and more yellow than I depicted it, but I just was in the sludgy green kind of mood. And even where the grass was lit up, well, I did add a little bit of yellow where the grass was lit up by the sun. And then um, on the other side, so we'll say at eye level across the road from me, um, stretching horizontally from one side of the page to the other. So my horizon, in effect, was a dry stone wall with um, brambles sticking up above it, sort of sticking up all over the place. Um, and then in a big tangle, kind of like Sleeping Beauty-ish. And then um, there was a barbed wire fence um, above that wall. So that was stretching across the page. And that was just a series of wooden posts separated at, at um, equal distances. And they were silhouetted against against the morning light. And then in the sky, we had some strips of very light purpley cloud. And then there was some um, sort of threatening cloud that arrived a little bit later. Now, I did include it at the top of the page, but um, it's a bit anachronous. It didn't re- it wasn't really there at the same time as the sun was out. So I'm not sure if I should have done that. Maybe I should have kept it to the light blue sky that was there at the beginning and the bright, bright sun. Mm, that's probably what I should have done. No worries, no worries. I also included the boat on the left that was steadily sinking as the tide went out. Um, And I got some good light with that. Now, once the sun went behind a cloud, everything changed. All the silhouettes disappeared and the regular colours could be seen and they weren't so dark in comparison to their bright, bright uh, counterparts where the sun was hitting parts of each, each part of each subject. So all in all, it's a kind of um, a dull sort of a sketch because of the light, but dramatic, very dramatic. Oh, and you have to really deepen up the gravelly path around the um, puddles so that the puddles remain shining out bright, bright white pockets reflecting the sky. And the wall also um, reflected the sun. So the wall is lit up quite bright as well. Um, so there you go. That's the sketch that I did this morning with a few tips on how to capture strong, strong morning light. The other tip I would pass on to you is that you've got to work fast. You don't have much time. You don't have much time. Everything will change quickly. So think about what it is you like about the scene. Now, I liked the reflections in the puddles. That's what I particularly liked. Think about what you like about the scene and try to make that your focus of your page. Um, I did. I was very happy to include the boat because the boat added a bit of interest. Otherwise, it would just been like some stone bollards and you wouldn't get the sense of the tide just next to it. So if there's something that indicates where you are, like, I don't know, Fisherman's Hut, but particularly sea or water or something like that, definitely try to include it. And it was lovely out there this morning. Did I mention a lot of swimmers came down because they are nut jobs and they splashed about in the sea behind me. And it was lovely to hear that, you know, that lovely whooshy sea sound of people sort of thrashing their arms. It's like a sound of a pool, except outdoors. It's really nice. 
And um, one woman was screaming a lot because she hadn't been in the sea for two weeks. So she had lost her um, her ability to acclimatise to the water, the cold water. But there was a couple of people down there this morning who would swim every day, winter and summer. And they didn't screech or roar or anything like that when they went into the sea. And it was, I, I felt very envious of them. And um, I wished I was brave and bold enough to be able to jump into the sea in February. But unfortunately, I'm not. February in Ireland. These people are tough. They are tough. They've toughened themselves carefully over the years. And it's very impressive the way they've done that. But sad to say, I am not as tough as they. And the fact that I have severe renos in my hands doesn't help one bit. So, um, but if you do immerse yourself little by little, maybe it's like when you go to India and you have to take a teaspoon of of um, local water every day and then in six months time or six weeks, I don't know, you're able to drink the water without getting sick. Maybe it's the same with the with the sea. Maybe you have to, I don't know, have a really quick freezing cold bath every morning and uh, until I'm completely, that's actually not a bad idea. And then when I'm completely acclimatised to it, I'll be able to go in the sea and I'll be like, oh my God, it's so lovely once you get used to it. And uh or maybe I should try that one day. So if you're lucky enough to live close to the coast, don't turn your back on it as a sketcher. Go down there early in the morning and really early in the morning. Like I was there by about, I don't know. Well, it wasn't that early. I was there by about quarter to nine this morning. But um, I should probably I should probably try and do um, more regular sketches down there a little bit um, a little bit earlier again. And if it's a freezing cold and sunny day, so much the better. As a sketcher, I have, I suppose, a few quivers in my... No, that's not right, is it? Arrows in my quiver. Is that right? I have a few arrows in my quiver. I have a few uh, (laughs) tools in my toolbox. Look, I don't know. I have a few um, areas of expertise or areas that I'm good at. But, you know, I think the one thing that makes me sort of different from most people is that, well, I can only go by what people say about my work. Obviously, we're all different from everybody else, so that's a given. But I can only tell you what people say. And what they say consistently over and over again is, I feel like I'm there. That's what they say. I feel like I'm there. Oh my God, I feel like I'm right beside you. And there is a trick to that. Well, there are two tricks. The main trick is good, strong drawing. So your shapes are solid, your verticals are vertical. And even if they're a bit wobbly, you know, they're more or less vertical. Horizontals are maybe more or less horizontal. But the big thing that makes the difference is your values. That is what makes the big difference. Values is what makes light look glowy. Values is what makes shadows look real and the rest of the scene sunny. Values it is what brings drama and atmosphere to your drawing, believability and solidity. That is all down to values. And dare I say it, it's also what brings a sense of good taste. Because if your values are right, you can have a number of colours, lots of different colours, garish or not. And as long as you darken up the bits that are supposed to be dark and lighten up, leave light, I should say, the bits that are supposed to be left light, it should all work really nicely. The two last sketches that I've done are good examples of really relying on values to do the heavy lifting. The first one is the one that's illustrating 
this week's episode. That's the one where I went down to Killinaran Shore, down to the quay, where everybody swims in good weather and nut jobs swim all year round. Well, they're not nut jobs. They're just very acclimatised. Um, and it's where I, I was a couple of days ago and I did that nice picture of the bollard and the reflection of the stone bollard in the puddle. Very, very simple kind of a scene. But by darkening up the reflected bollard a lot, it really made it look like a reflection in, pu- in a puddle. And by darkening up the road very much around the puddle, it made the water in the puddle look like water. And the hedge at the back of the drawing being made as dark as I made it and the fence posts being made into just little black sticks. That is what gave the sketch the idea that the sun is low in the sky and that it's morning time. Because if it was later in the day, you wouldn't get such strong light contrasts. So that's where the values came in on that one. And of course, leaving the side of the stone bollards unpainted to show the light that is hitting them. Those are all part of values. Basically, it just means making one area darker than another, leaving one area lighter than another. So you can do a value sketch by just using one colour. You could choose paints grey. You could choose anything, really. You, I mean, in theory, you could choose anything. I wouldn't recommend it with yellow or orange or something like that. But you could, as long as any colour can be made darker by layer, layering it up. Now, yellow, as I say, you're not going to get very far with that. But I have used Payne's Grey by various manufacturers for years. And I've recently fallen head over heels with Deep Sea Black, Super Granulating Colour by Schmincke. Oh my goodness, I just love that colour. And I can't get enough of it. And I've been using it again today in a sketch that I'm going to tell you about. Okay, so there's um, a mirror in my sunroom at at home. Now, I have an open plan house for better or for worse. um, My house is open plan and none of the kids, none of the members can get away from anyone else unless they go to their bedrooms and shut the door. So um, it just means that when you're in, you know, room A, when you're in the dining room, you can see perfectly clearly into the kitchen, the sunroom and the living room. And I suppose it's probably quite a small area. If you were to put walls up around each of the areas, the rooms might be pretty small. Yeah, they would. They'd be pretty small. But it's really cute. It's really cute. There are windows all over the place. um, So it's very light and airy. And the fact that there's lots of different directions going off everywhere, it means it's kind of interesting as a space and it really works as a space. Now, why am I telling you that? Oh, yes, because when you're sitting in the dining room, well, when you're in my place, when where, where I sit to have my mid, my dinner, um, I can see the mirror on the wall of the sunroom. And if I look over my shoulder to my left, then I can see the reflection of the framed print of an artichoke that's on the wall over my right shoulder reflected in the mirror. OK, and it looks really, really cool. I mean, mirrors are cool anyway. I don't even know how they work, but they're cool. And this particular uh, framed print of an artichoke. Oh, when did I get that? I got it years ago in County Kerry somewhere. And it was one of those things. It was an absolute whim. And I really like it. I'm really glad I, I got it. But I've had it for years and years and years. So I decided that it would be really nice to draw the reflection of this artichoke print in the mirror. And then if I could fit it all in, I would build up all the oak posts and beams that are on the wall around the mirror because my house is an oak post and beam house and not alone are there vertical oak posts and horizontal oak beams but there are also diagonal braces 
um, attaching the post to the beams. Yes, the post to the beams. And in fact, there isn't a single nail anywhere in the frame at all. It's all done by uh, clever craftsmanship by fantastic British uh, oak framers who used kind of like little oak pegs. Oh, that reminds me, I forgot to draw the oak pegs into my drawing. So I was looking at this and I was thinking, mm, that would make such a nice sketch. When am I going to get a chance to do that? I really must do that. I've got one page left in my sketchbook and I think that would be a very nice sketch for that last page. So this morning I was uh, looking at the same old reflection and I couldn't really decide, will I go outside and sketch? I thought, no, 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 no. Look at the light. Look at the light coming in in the early morning. Um, light now wasn't a bit early. It was about nine o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. That is not early. But the light was coming in and it was bathing the wall in a bright, bright silver white. So I have white lime walls, lime plastered walls. So I don't know if that helps them look even more glowy. I really have no idea. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But I do know, oh, never mind. I was going to say I do know that they're a very good buffer for um for any damp in the house. And lime-built houses don't really get damp because the walls will um soak it up and then give it back when, I don't know, look, just doesn't get damp, which is very nice. But never mind that. That's nothing to do with drawing it. The fact is the walls were very, very bright and these almost black shadows could be seen um, in strips across the walls and they are from other oak posts elsewhere in the house or they are from plants that have cast shadows across the room um, and so on. There's all sorts of different things that have cast shadows and the thing about a shadow on a wall is it starts off really really dark right next to its border with the with the bright bit and then it loses its power it's dark as it creeps away from the uh, the, the light bit and it gets lighter and lighter and lighter and suddenly you go oh yeah there's a white wall and it's only when you look at the contrast between the very very dark bit of the shadow and the white wall that you realise that the dark has been creeping up on you across the wall until you get to that sudden shaft of brilliance it's something that's interested me for actually a great many years looking at the shadows on the road on a sunny day and I think about why do they look so deep and why does the road look so brilliant and and then the cloud passes over the sun and suddenly the road is all the same colour as the shadow was. And yet it looks much lighter than the dark shadow. So it's very interesting to think about the values and the relative depth of colour. But on an, in, in an inside situation such as you'll have in your home, when you've got plenty of time to do what you want to do at your leisure, it's a great opportunity to do some value practice. So my method is to draw, 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 draw the shapes or whatever you happen to be drawing and then to start painting. And you look for the areas that don't have massive shadows on them. You paint those first, if you like. And then when you've done all that, then the time comes to throw your shadows on. Now, what you'll do is you'll look for the very, very sharp border between the dark and the sunshine. And you'll give that a really sharp, clear dark line in paint. Now, as I say, in this particular sketch, I used um, Deep Sea Black, the super granulation colour by Schmincke. And then you quickly, before it gets a chance to dry, you blend it out to the rest of the area, getting it, letting it be lighter and lighter and lighter as you go. So it's the exact same as I described earlier with the puddles. So you gradually darken up the gravel path around the puddle Make it so that it's got a really, really sharp border between the ground around the puddle 
and the puddle itself. And it's the exact same when you're doing the sun shining across a wall. Really, really sharp, dark border between the dark bit and the light bit and then gradually blending out to a very soft, dilute colour or nothing at all. Now, you can get used to doing this by getting to grips with your dilution of your colours. And if you're not very familiar with diluting your watercolour, you should think about doing an exercise where you draw a big load of boxes, maybe six. Yeah, draw six little little boxes, maybe, I don't know, a square centimetre, maybe two centimetres square, something like that. Yeah, two. I think two, two to two and a half square centimetres, square centimetres, about an inch square would be a good size. And then what your job is to um, fill in each of those squares, ranging from zero to five, zero, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, something like that. But it really doesn't matter. Where zero is completely white and five is as dark as you can make your colour go by only just wetting the brush, making it super, super deep and concentrated. And then all the other boxes in between are lighter and lighter and lighter until they get to zero, which is nothing at all. So it's a good way to be in control of your dilutions and to get to know the feeling of dilute colour as opposed to really concentrated colour. And the only difference is using a different amount of water for each of those little bits of dilution. And when you're good at that, well, that's the first start. After that, your job will be to identify which of these boxes looks most closely like the, let's say, value that you're looking at. Am I looking at a deep, deep grey? Am I looking at the merest, lightest touch of grey? You know, a seagull flying against the sky looks very, very dark. But a seagull flying against a low, a dark building, it suddenly looks white. So again, it's to do with the contrast and the relative dark, the relative dark of the two objects. So a seagull is much, much darker than the bright, bright sky behind it. And it's much, much lighter than the dark building behind it. So if you're not completely confused, (laughs) you, well, you don't have to get confused because as long as you work from life, well, the answers are always right in front of you. You don't have to remember anything. Just paint from life. And you won't go too far wrong. So try that and try, find something at home Draw it in the sunlight and draw it in artificial light and draw it on a dull day, same area. And just take note of how the wall looks different and how the objects look different, how they're casting shadows and how some of them look lighter and some of them look darker. And if you can do that, you are well on your way to handling values. And that means you're well on your way to making realistic looking and very dramatic sketches that are full of atmosphere. In this week's episode, I've been sharing a little bit of my glorious countryside around me with you. About um, 25 years ago, something like that, when my husband Marcel and I first decided we would like to build a house here, we had to go to the planners because the planning permission on Marcel's land had lapsed and we were going to have to go through the whole process from scratch. Um, and that meant going to see the planners because it was an area of high scenic community value uh, area thing. And it meant that there were certain conditions that you could only live here or build here if you had relatives in the area, if you'd grown up in the area or if you worked in the area. So if you had a housing need, as they call it, 
And when we went into the planning uh, official, the planning official was a young woman, maybe in her late 20s, I suppose. She maybe early 30s, perhaps around the same age as, as I was at the time. And I told her that I did have a housing need. I did want to work here. I was working here because it was an area that inspired me very much as an artist and as a painter. And I have to tell you, good listener, that this was not one word of a lie and it was not one word of an exaggeration. I knew at the time that this whole area of countryside was going to be massively influential on my life as an artist. Now, I'd only been in the area, well, maybe a year by then. We were renting a place around the corner from where our land was. But I knew that this was the place I was going to paint. So I meant every word of it when I said this to the young woman. And she looked at me and she said, no, you're going to have to do better than that. And I think that's a shame. That is a shame. She didn't say she didn't take my word for it, but it was quite clear that this would not be considered a housing need or real work or a real job. And as it turns out, it is absolutely my real work, my real job. And it's how I've put potatoes on the table, as they say, for the last 15 years, maybe 20 years, probably something like that. So in the end, I realised I'd have to do something different. So I manufactured myself a job and I started working, teaching in the community centre, in the local community centre in the village. And I taught art to children. And I don't know if it was that that got us our planning permission, but we got it anyway. I really don't know what the reason was. And, you know, kind of ironically, it was teaching children in the community centre that began to grow over the years and it became a very much an established thing in the village. And it brought me great, great, great pleasure, great happiness. I loved the children who went through my classes and as I watched them grow older and go to secondary school. And I really loved it. I loved every minute of it. And I did try to expand into other villages and other schools. And I did do that for a while. I did it for a number of years, actually. But really what I loved was teaching in our local village because I knew the kids. I knew the kids. I knew their families. I knew them. And it was lovely to get to know them. And as I say, it was kind of that job that led to what I do now in a kind of a roundabout way, because it was in March 2020 when I was in full flow teaching local children in the community centre that the pandemic happened. My lovely children that I was teaching, those gorgeous kids, they started missing their friends very much. They couldn't so much as hop over the fence of the garden behind their house to go to their neighbour's garden and play. They weren't allowed to do anything. And they all asked me, they texted me, they emailed me, they asked me, could I please continue the classes over Zoom? And I said, what's Zoom? <laughs> As we all did. And so I started teaching through Zoom. And I remember the first day in the chat, I saw the word hello, 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 hello. But I don't know, three or four dozen times. And I thought, why am I getting hello so many times? Are the children are they being cheeky? What's this? Are they, you know, but are they messing? Because my kids were, they were fabulous. But then I realised they were saying it to each other because they were so, they just missed each other so much. They were a very tight little bunch. So that was really fun. We, 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 we were together in inverted commas, even though we were all in the same village, but we couldn't see each other. And after a couple of months, it was my husband, Marcel, who said, why don't you offer classes to 
your your friends and followers online? And I said, no, I don't think I can. And he said, he said, no, 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 you must, you must, you must. He said, think of all those people out there. They can't do anything. They can't go anywhere. Think what it would mean to them to be to be doing something positive like that. And of course, he was right. And I, like everyone, was restricted to a certain distance from my home. In our case here in Galway or in Ireland, it was two kilometres. That was the smallest distance we could ever go, two kilometres from our home. But oh my word, my two kilometres is pure paradise. So I spent that summer, summer of 2020, just wallowing, basking in this glorious countryside. Now, sadly, the sunny weather was gone by about June. I don't know, we didn't have a great summer that year. But until June, it was just beautiful. It was fabulous. It was hot and sunny. And my children were with me, my growing children. My youngest was 15 at the time. She's now 18 and a half. There you go. Time flies. And it was a special time. It was a special time to be with my friends and followers, to get to know them and to share this beautiful countryside with them. Some of them were stuck in big cities where they couldn't do much. They couldn't do much to get out of the four walls of their apartments or their homes, their buildings. It was it was hard. It was hard for people. So that's what I did. And if I could talk to that planning official now, I would love to say to her, do you know what, girl, girly, I have got a job that is that necessitates being right here on this particular patch of land. And I do. And it is my great honour and my great privilege to share it with all you guys. It really is. I, I feel... I feel as I am, as I said to my students in class on Saturday, I'm an art farmer. So there's an oyster farmer who lives around the corner from me. And there are cattle farmers up and down my road. There are horse farmers. I don't know if you call them horse farmers, actually. Horse owners? I'm not sure. There are cattle farmers, sheep farmers, oyster farmers, farm farmers, potato farmers. And then there's me. I'm an art farmer. That's what I do. I farm art. I draw beautiful scenes from around where I live and I show you how to do it in class and on YouTube. And I'm going to tell you about my YouTube actually in a second. So hang on for a minute. And that that brings me to the end of this little segment all about how I became a farmer. (laughs) Well, it's not what I wanted to say, but you get my you get my point. This is my job. This is where I work. And it's a really Nice job. And as the fellow says, I never work a day in my life. Before I wrap it up, I thought I'd share with you a little bit of news. I've got good news and bad news. We'll start with the bad news. Reuben is still cocking his leg in the house. And now I have become resigned to this and I've decided that, well, he has to wear his nappies every day. Whenever he's indoors, the good thing about this is he looks really, really cute with his belly wraps. They're not actually nappies, they're belly wraps and they come in nice colours and he looks very nice in them. And my youngest is very pleased about the nappies, not that she has to do any any of the laundering because she thinks it's just nicer for a little boy dog to have a belly wrap on. That's the bad news. 
The good news is that my dear son Paddy has passed his driving test. So there's no more mum in the driving seat beside him. Unless we're going somewhere together on purpose. And I get to have a chauffeur for the first time ever. And Marcel and I wasted no time at all in taking advantage of this. And we went out for a nice glass of wine in a lovely wine bar in Galway City. We went to Sheridan's wine bar. Really nice in there. And we had the mixed cheese and meat platter. And it was lovely. It was lovely. We didn't have to watch how much we drank. Now we only had a couple of glasses each. But that's not the point. The point is we could have had more if we had wanted to. And Paddy, who was out with his friends having a meal, drove us home. And we were home and safe and warm by about 11pm. Now that's what I call a win. And Paddy's buying a car this week for himself. He's full of words about the, the bus driver on route something, something, something. I can't remember which route it is. Maybe three, five, six, I don't know. In Limerick. Who took a speed bump so fast that Paddy's drink exploded on impact. It was in his backpack and landed on the floor of the bus. And also Paddy went up in the air and he came down on the uh, seatbelt buckle thing. And that hurt his bottom. So his drink exploded. He had a sore rear. All because the bus driver took two speed bumps, in fact, one after the other, at, I think Paddy said, 80 kilometres an hour. And... Paddy had to ring me to rant, full of grievance. So that's Paddy's grievance, getting onto the podcast today. But bus routes do not have to be a feature of his life for very much longer. And I can tell you, Paddy is a very happy young man. And I'm a very happy mom. And I wish him many years of safe and happy driving. Well done, Paddy. Well, that brings us to an end to today's episode in this lovely spring weather that we're having. We have baby lambs. We've got daffodils. I saw my first dandelion today and the buds are just beginning to grow on the trees and I can hear birds getting more and more excited with every day that passes. I wanted to tell you a little bit about my YouTube channel. So my YouTube has been around for a long time. It's probably maybe 10 years, 10 years there. And I've, I haven't got that many videos on it, but I have a few. And I intend to uh, raise that number considerably because between me and my little phone and my newfound experience as a teacher that I feel that I know just what my students want and what they benefit from, I am going to convert the beautiful scenery around where I live into little teaching sessions. That's my plan. Little demos of nature subjects. Mm, I was going to say fungi, but you know, not in the springtime. Maybe the buds on the trees, the daffodils. These I'll even try to draw some spring lambs if they don't get too shy and amble away from me and get called by their mummies, which is what happens a lot, I'm afraid, when I'm out and about. But do keep an eye out on my YouTube channel. In fact, don't even keep an eye out. Subscribe. Subscribe. Like and subscribe. And you will never miss a cool show then. And I promise to do my best to get better at it and I will listen to your comments if you have any on what you might like to see 
me teach and I, there's everything I can do. I don't just have to stick to sketching. I can show you all kinds of things like techniques and portraiture and well, I don't know. We'll come to that when we when we when we do. But I'm really looking forward to it and I think you're going to enjoy it. Aside from that, my weekly classes, my twice weekly classes continue. I also have a third class on a Wednesday morning that will be going on until the middle of March. That is done with beginners in mind, beginners stroke improvers in mind. But Saturdays and Tuesdays, you just never know what you're going to get. And it's Saturdays, 2, 2 p.m. GMT and Tuesdays, 7 p.m. GMT. Classes are 90 minutes long. And the best value you can get out of my classes is to become a VIP member where you pay the princely sum of $19.99 a month. And I love to see new members because I get to know you. I get to know you and we have a relationship. And that is my kind of teaching because it gives me great satisfaction to see my students uh, improve and flourish and yes, even become addicted to sketching. That is always a wonderful thing for me to see. You know what books I have out. I don't need to tell you about them. And you also know, I think, about my workshops. You know about the sketchbook revival that I'm doing soon. And because I've already told you last week. And you also know about Dunmore East in County Waterford, which I'm doing in early July. And of course, I'm doing two workshops under my own banner in August, late August. And in, sorry, I'm just distracted because there's a pheasant outside my window maybe that's a spring thing too mm, pheasant I do like the sound they make and I like their emerald green heads there's a lot of pheasant around here anyway there you go and then there's one in Dublin in the first days of October which I'm really excited about that one's going to be so cool that's going to be all about pretending you're a 19th century naturalist that's going to be so fun and we're going to spend some time in the Natural History Museum in Dublin City fourth 5th and 6th of October. All right, guys, I'll leave it at that. And I am going to, I'm going to encourage you to get outside early in the morning if you can. Do a bit of sketching if you can. If it's not knee deep in snow where you are, I hope the weather's beginning to turn and get a bit better. And as always, I wish you happy sketching. <laughs>